ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so continuing then with Kitabut Tawheed, we have arrived now at the chapter Babu Bayani Shay'in Min Anwa'is Sihr. The chapter that will clarify some of the types of magic. Because you remember the last chapter that we did before Ramadan was a type of introduction into magic and the rulings regarding magic, the ruling regarding the magicians. And so here now in this chapter, he is going to discuss the author, rahimahullah, some of the different types of magic that occur and exist. Al-Shaykh Al-Fawzan, hafizahullah ta'ala mentions here, munasabatu hadha al-bab بعد الباب الذي قبله ظاهرة. The connection between this chapter and the previous chapter is obvious. And remember, if you're studying Kitab al-Tawheed with precision, then one of the things you're supposed to know is how the chapters are connected to each other. Uh, in the curriculum at the University of Medina, they used to mention that as a point. How are the chapters connected to each other? Because as Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, rahimahullah ta'ala, didn't just make 50, 60 chapters randomly. They are not just 50 or 60 chapters in random order with no connection to each other. Rather, they are ordered in a particular way, and chapters that are next to each other do have a connection one to another. So that is one important point for the Talib al-Ilm to recognize regarding the chapters of Kitab al-Tawheed. The other important point they used to mention was, you must understand what the connection is between the title of the chapter and the chapter itself. Meaning they used to say, focus on the title that the sheikh gives the chapter, then focus and think about the evidences he puts into that chapter to make a connection between what he is saying in the title of the chapter to the evidences that he gives, so that you then recognize the context of those evidences and what they are being used for. And this is the same as what they mention regarding Al-Imam Al-Bukhari. When you're studying Sahih Al-Bukhari, it's not just about the hadith and what does the hadith mean and what is the explanation of it. It's not just that. In Sahih Al-Bukhari, they say one of the key points of benefit is looking at the titles of the chapters. Why did Al-Imam Al-Bukhari give this chapter or that chapter this particular title or that particular title? Because the titles 
give you the real understanding of what Al-Imam Al-Bukhari is trying to show you from the hadith in that chapter. So many people may be ignorant of that when they are looking in Sahih Al-Bukhari. It's just about the hadith. قَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى XYZ Okay, the hadith is there. And you read it. But you will not have fully comprehended the meaning of it until you look at the chapter title Al-Imam Al-Bukhari gave to that particular hadith. Because his chapter titles are highlighting what he intends to show you and the understanding he wants you to get from this particular hadith. And it's very complex and very fine and very precise. They say the title headings of Al-Imam Al-Bukhari in Sahih Al-Bukhari, the fiqh behind them is of a high level. That sometimes you see the chapter title, and then you see the hadith, and you read the hadith and think there is no connection between this hadith and the title Imam Al-Bukhari has given the chapter. You think there's no connection. Why is the chapter called such and such? And then he's put this hadith into it that's got nothing to do with that chapter title. But that's when they say, think and think again and think again and think again until suddenly you'll realize what he means by this hadith is X, Y, and Z in this section here, in that section there. That's what he's talking about in regards to the title of the chapter. And that may be a benefit you would have never thought of, and it would never have occurred to you from this hadith. That's why they say Al-Imam Al-Bukhari, his fiqh, in his chapter titles, is knowledge in and of itself. So here as well, they used to say as part of the curriculum, and they would test you in the final exam, they would say this particular title of the chapter was Bayanu Shay'in Min Anwa'i Sihr. What were the narrations in that chapter and how are they from the types of magic? Why are they in this chapter known as the types of magic? How is this hadith an evidence for a type of magic? How is that ayah an evidence for a type of magic? That's the way to properly be studying Kitab al-Tawheed. So here the Shaykh says the connection of this chapter to the previous chapter is obvious. لِأَنَّهُ فِي الْبَابِ الَّذِي قَبْلَهُ بَيَّنَ مَا جَاءَ مِنَ الْأَدِلَّةِ فِي كِتَابِ اللَّهِ وَسُنَّةِ رَسُولِهِ فِي حُكْمِ السِّحْرِ وَحُكْمِ السَّاحِرِ فَتَطَلَّعَتْ الْأَنْظَارِ إِلَىٰ أَنْ يَعْرِفَ النَّاسِ مَا هُوَ السِّحْرِ وَمَا هِيَ أَنْوَاعُهُ حَتَّى يَتَجَنَّبُوهُ So now that you have learned about the severe ruling upon magic and the severe ruling upon the magicians in the previous chapter, the obvious thing that you would want to then know is what are the different types of magic then in order to be able to stay well away and protect yourself from all of those forms, or falling into any of them yourself. وَمِن ثَمَّ يَتَعَيَّنُ عَلَى الْعُلَمَةِ وَطَلَبَةِ الْعِلْمِ 
أن يبينوا للناس الحق والباطل أن يبينوا للناس الحق وأدلته وأن يبينوا للناس الباطلة وأدلته أنواعا من أجل أن يأخذوا بالحق على بصيرة وأن يتركوا الباطل على بصيرة وإلا فإنه إذا لم يبين الحق والباطل التبس على الناس وظنوا الحق باطلا والباطل حقا So the Sheikh says it is necessary absolutely upon the student upon the scholars and the students of knowledge to clarify to the people the truth and the falsehood to clarify to the people the truth with its evidences in the three fundamental principles what do you learn ma'rifatul islami Knowing your religion of Islam with the evidences. Sometimes a person can sit there and talk and talk and talk. But if there's no ayah being quoted at all, no hadith being quoted at all, then your speech is very general and loose. It is not the style of speech that you see and hear from the scholars. You look at those al-ijabat al-mukhtasara they make of a Sheikh al-Fawzan. Those 60 second clips, two minute clips, where they present questions to him. Sheikh such and such says X, Y, Z. Short 60 second answers the Sheikh gives, two minute answers. But every single one of those short 60 second, two minute answers he gives to the questions being brought to him, all of them will have some Ayah as the evidence to what he's saying. Or some hadith as the evidence to what he's saying. So it is about clarification with evidence. That's what distinguishes the Talib al-ilm from the common person. The Talib al-ilm needs to memorize, needs to have that artillery as we learned in Kashf al-Shubuhat. You need to have your silah, your armory, your armory isn't just speech. It is evidences, proofs that you can use to clarify the truth. So the Sheikh says it is upon the scholars, upon the students of knowledge to clarify the truth and the falsehood and to clarify that to the people the truth with evidences and to clarify to the people the falsehood with evidences and the various types of that falsehood. And he is saying all of that in the context here, of all of these types of magic, that you clarify to the people the different types of magic, with the evidences, with the ayat, with the ahadith, so that they are upon knowledge, and so that truth and falsehood does not become confused upon them and that they do not think that the falsehood is the truth, or that the truth is falsehood. وَمِنْ هُنَا يَتَعَيَّنْ عَلَى الدُّعَاتِ وَعَلَى الْخُطَبَةِ فِي الْمَسَاجِدِ وَعَلَى الْمُدَرِّسِينَ أَنْ يَعْتَنُوا بِهَذَا الْأَمْرِ وَأَنْ يُبَيِّنُوا لِلنَّاسِ أُمُورَ عَقِيدَتِهِمْ وَأُمُورَ دِينِهِمْ 
The Sheikh says it is also therefore a requirement for the du'at, for the ones who do the khutbah, the khutbah, for the teachers. It is a requirement and necessity upon them that they give importance to these affairs and that they clarify these affairs to the people regarding the aqidah and regarding the affairs of their religion. That those who are du'at, who are the ones who give the khutbah, the khatib, the ones who are teachers, that they give importance to this knowledge, to this truth, with evidences and clarify the aqidah to the people. وَمِمَّا حَمَلَ الْمُصَنِّفُ أَيْضًا رَحِمَهُ اللَّهُ عَلَىٰ عَقْدِ هَذَا الْبَابِ أَنَّ هُنَاكَ خَوَارِقَ تَجْرِي عَلَىٰ أَيْدِي بَعْضِ النَّاسِ خَارِجَ عَنِ الْأَسْبَابِ الْمَعْرُوفِ مَعْرُوفَةِ مِثْلُ الْمَشِي عَلَىٰ الْمَاءِ وَالطَّيَرَانِ فِي الْهَوَاءِ وَالْإِخْبَارِ عَنِ الْأَشْيَاءِ الْغَائِبَةِ وَإِحْضَارُ الشَّيْءِ الْبَعِيدِ and also, he says, one of the reasons why Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab has put this chapter here in Kitab al-Tawheed is because in reality you see things happening that are out of the ordinary. You will see, for example, a person walks on water. Or you will see that a person floats or flies in the air. Or that a person can inform you of things that are unseen from here. Or that he puts forth and brings something that is at a distance and suddenly manages to bring it there and then. That people engage in certain types of activities of this nature that are outside of what is normal and what is uh, usual and regular. So as a consequence of people doing these types of things, and you see it, or it occurs, and on the TV and on the other stations and social media and internet, and all these magicians, and he can do this and he can do that, and it is haram to watch any of that, and we're going to come to that too. But the Shaykh says these things exist. So as a consequence, the believer needs to know his religion with the evidences and why all of those types of magic are magic and they are haram. وَهَذِهِ الْخَوَارِقِ إِنْجَرَتْ عَلَىٰ أَيْدِ الصَّالِحِينَ فَهِيَ كَرَامَاتِ مِنَ اللَّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَىٰ However, if some of these extraordinary things occur from an actual righteous, pious man, genuinely, then it is not going to be considered as magic, that righteous, pious, sincere man, genuinely upon that way. He isn't engaging in magic if something like this occurs for him. That is known as in some of the books of Aqidah, you'll come across it, the Karamatul Awliya, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sometimes allows and decrees for extraordinary things to occur to the Awliya of Allah. 
extraordinary that is not from the ordinary things. In Sharh Usul I'tiqat Ahl Sunnah Wal Jama'ah of Allah there is a narration of one of the, as it's mentioned from the awliya of Allah, righteous man, he was once passing through a jungle, and a lion came before him to attack him. But that he spoke to the lion, I don't remember the exact narration of what occurred, but that he spoke to the lion or something of that nature, and the lion stepped down and walked away. A normal person now, a lion comes up to you, want to eat you, you're not going to put your hand out or something, it's going to quietly put its head down and walk away. So this was considered, and it's mentioned in the book of Al-Lalika'i as one of the karamat of the awliya, that this was something Allah bestowed upon that righteous man, that he was able to repel that lion like that, and the lion stopped and walked away and didn't do anything to him. Whereas normally the lion ready to come and pounce would jump upon you and take you. So then, and that's not even a big example. That isn't even a huge example. There are other examples even greater than that of extraordinary things occurring for the true awliya. If that occurs, it is from the karamat of the awliya, from those uh, 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 miracles that Allah allows to occur for some of his awliya. But here... We're talking about these types of affairs that the magicians engage in and that they use the jinn and the shayateen to be able to perform these things of walking on water or flying in the air. Ibn Taymiyyah mentions that they used to fly on carpets. Do they not put it now into their cartoons and in these things, flying on a carpet, the genie and all these business. They used to fly on their carpets. They used to fly on their rugs in the sky. And Ibn Taymiyyah said, if a believer, a, a strong, firm believer, with that iman and understanding in his heart, was to recite ayatul kursi upon them, they would, they used to collapse from the sky because those shayateen couldn't handle it, the ones who were flying them up there. The, the person of iman, with the true strong iman, knowing what ayatul kursi is, knowing the meanings in it, knowing that there are multiple names of Allah in ayatul kursi, five names of Allah in there, over 20 sifat, attributes of Allah in there, knowing all of that recited upon them, Ibn Taymiyyah said they would collapse, they would collapse to the ground, they wouldn't be able to maintain their flight upon their magic and with the shayateen. So here the Shaykh says because these things occur and they exist, it is upon the student to know what these different types of magic are so that you can rebuke uh, that and you can refute that and you can clarify that to the people. وَقَدْ تَجْرِي عَلَىٰ أَيْدِ الْكَفَرَ وَالْفُصَّاقُ وَالْمُنَافِقِينَ فَتَكُونُ هَذِي الْخَوَارِكْ شَيْطَانِيَّةِ يَفْتِنُونَ بِهَا النَّاسِ وَيَلَبِّسُونَ بِهَا عَلَىٰ النَّاسِ وَهِيَ إِمَّا سِحَرْ وَإِمَّا بِسَبَبِ اسْتِخْدَامْ هَأُولَئِ الْفُصَّاقِ لِشَيَاطِينَ فَيَخْدُمُهُمُ الشَّيَاطِينَ بِهَذِي الْأُمُورِ الَّتِي لَيْسَتْ مِنْ مَقْدُورِ بَنِي آدم. So as for the disbelievers when they engage in those activities of flying in the air, walking on water, etc., then they are doing that either by magic or by the usage of the shayateen who are helping them to do those affairs, 
things that the shayateen can do that humans cannot do. That they can lift them up into the air as though they are flying then, or that they are flying then, or other affairs of that nature the shayateen can do, but humans cannot. Or it could just be that they are illusions as we mentioned. They are doing something, it appears as though it's happening, but it's an illusion. It's a, a, a rigged as they say in a certain way. It looks like they are being crushed and their bodies being crushed by a truck or something. But really the way it's been done and the angle of their body and the way the ground is and the way the truck goes over them, it's not really putting pressure on them, things like that. Illusions to make it look like something amazing is occurring and it's not. So it could be any one of those types. فَمِنْ أَجْلِ الْتِبَاسِ الْحَقِّ بِالْبَاطِلِ فِي هَذِهِ الْخَوَارِقِ أَرَادَ الشَّيْخُ أَنْ يَعْقُدَ هَذَا الْبَابِ يَعْقِدَ هَذَا الْبَابِ لِيُبَيِّنَ أَنَّ هَذِهِ الْخَوَارِقَ مِنَ الصِّحَّةِ وَلَيْسَتْ مِنَ الْكَرَامَاتِ So in order to clarify that these types of extraordinary things that the disbelievers, the fusat, the, the, the kuffar, they engage in, that they are magic or from the shayateen, etc. To clarify that, so that there is no confusion that these extraordinary things they are doing, there is no confusion that they might be from the karamat of the awliya. We believe in the karamat of the awliya, the miracles that Allah allows for some of His awliya to do, extraordinary things that cannot normally be done. So that there is no confusion between that and the magic the magicians do, that's one of the reasons this chapter is here. From this chapter you will see that what the magicians do and what they engage in, this is not to be confused with the miracles of the awliya that may occur. Because the magicians, what will they claim? The magicians from the ones who claim to be Muslim, they will claim they are doing what they are doing as karamat. They will say, this is a miracle Allah has bestowed upon me, that I can do this and I can do that. This is a miracle Allah has bestowed upon me, I can fly, I can X, Y, Z. And the reality of them is that they are upon kufr, they are magicians, they are not upon the karamat of the awliya. But that's what they will all claim. That's what they will all claim. That this is all legitimate. It is from the karamat of the awliya. We are awliya of Allah. And you see as a Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab clarified in Al-Usul Sitta that there is a big difference between the awliya of Allah and the awliya of the shaitan. These individuals don't even pray their prayers and they want to claim that these are karamat from Allah upon them. Then you know they are not karamat of Allah upon them. They are not miracles Allah has given them. These individuals do not even pray. Disbelievers then upon that well-established understanding that الْعَهْدُ الَّذِي بَيْنَنَا وَبَيْنَهُمُ الصَّلَاةِ فَمَنْ تَرَكَهَا فَقَدْ كَفَرُ وَفِي رِوَايَ فَقَدْ أَشْرَكُ That the covenant between us and them is the prayer. Whoever abandons it has committed kufr or committed shirk. So this individual doesn't even pray. And he wants to claim that this magic or these extraordinary things are miracles from Allah for him. 
Rather, it is magic he is engaging in. So the Sheikh is highlighting that this is one of the points to remember and make note of throughout this chapter. So then, uh, what time is the other? 48. So we'll have to carry on after the prayer shortly as well in that case. Qala Ahmed Haddathana Muhammad ibn Ja'far Qala Haddathana Awf Qala Haddathana Hayyan ibn Al-Ala Qala Haddathana Qatn ibn Qabisah An abihi annahu sami'an nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallama Qal Inna al-iyafa Wal-tarq Wal-tiyarah Min al-jibt Qala Awf العيافة زجر الطير والطرق الخط يخط بالأرض والجبت قال الحسن رنة الشيطان إسناده جيد uh, In this particular narration then it mentions that it was heard from the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم that he said that العيافة and Tark and At-Tiyarah are all from the forms of magic or from the shayateen. What are these three things then? The first one, Al-Iyafah. Al-Iyafah. That is Zajr al-Tayr. وَمَعْنَاهُ أَتَّشَاءُمْ بِأَسْوَاتِهَا وَأَسْمَائِهَا وَمَسَارِهَا this was omens that they used to take from birds. Either it could be by the sound of birds, that if they heard certain types of bird song, if they heard certain types of bird song, they would say, that's it, that's a bad sign, that's bad luck, get back in your homes today. We heard such and such uh, singing of such and such a bird today. Or by the names of the birds. If a bird was known with a particular name, you have names for different birds. They saw a particular bird and it has a particular name. They would say, we saw the bird with such and such a name back in your houses today. Bad omens. Or by the movement of birds. As we'll see in some later chapters, they would sometimes go out in the morning, throw a stone in the tree, and if the birds flew out in one particular direction, they would say that's good luck. But if they threw the stone and the birds flew out in the other direction, they would say bad omen. The birds, they flew out that way. Back in your homes, don't do anything today. Don't go to your market today. Don't do your business today. So this was the bad omens that they would take from birds. That is al-iyafa. The second one, الطرق. الطرق الخط يخط في الأرض من أجل استطلاع الأمور الغائبة. They used to draw lines in the sand or a line in the sand. And they would say this was a means of opening up the doors to the unseen. A bit like when they look at the lines on your palms, the palm reading, and the lines, they tell us what's going to happen in your future. 
So they used to draw a line in the ground, saying that this line is a means of opening up knowledge of the unseen affairs to us. وَهِيَ طَرِيقَ جَاهِلِيَّةٍ That's what they used to do in the ignorance. وَهُمْ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ بِهَا الْغَيْبِ ذَاتِهَا And they never used to learn any of the unseen via that method. وَإِنَّمَا الشَّيَاطِينَ هِيَ الَّتِي تَأْتِي لَهُمْ بِمَا يُرِيدُونَ إِذَا تَقَرَّبُوا إِلَيْهِمْ بِالْعِبَادَةِ Rather the shayateen would come to them when they drew this line and inform them of certain affairs of the unseen. So it was not that the line or anything was doing it, but the shayateen and this evil was occurring. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. أشهد أن محمد رسول الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حيا على الصلاة حيا على الصلاة حيا على الفلاح حيا على الفلاح الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله So Al-Iyafa, that was their pessimism and their bad omens, the bad luck as they claimed from birds. The Attarq was when they drew the lines claiming that this brings them knowledge of the unseen and that was from the Shayateen doing so, misguiding mankind. And the third one mentioned is Attiyara. Attiyara, it is similar to the Al-Iyafa in terms of the omens that they took from birds. And there's going to be a specific section coming up on that later. A hadith that talks about At-Tiyara, the omens that they took from the birds in particular. To the extent sometimes they would say if they went out of their homes and they saw a bird with only one eye, maybe something happened. And the bird lost an eye. They saw a bird with one eye. They would say, bad luck, omens. It's an omen. Go back into your homes. I saw a bird with only one eye. And of course, we know none of this has any basis to it. And the, uh, then it says at the end, وَقَالَ الْحَسَنِ وَالْجِبْتِ قَالَ الْحَسَنِ رَنَّةُ الشَّيْطَانِ That the jibt, it is the sound of the shaytan. And the meaning of the sound of the shaytan, 
صوت الشيطان يشمل أشياء كثيرة منها الأغاني والمزامير Music and the beautified voices in the singing that they do that can all be from the meaning under of the voice of the shaytan. And also, generally speaking, the voice or the sound of the shaytan is basically all false speech. All false speech, uh, all of the speech of kufr and shirk, that is al-jibit, that is ranna to shaytan. So three things have been mentioned there as forms and types of magic. The al-iyafa with the omens of the birds, the omens with their lines, the omens in regards to where the birds fly and which way and the sounds they make. All of these types of things, they would consider them as omens as types of magic that they believed in. وَكُلُّهَا مِنْ أَنْوَاعِ السِّحْرِ All of these are in reality types of magic. لِأَنَّهَا مِنَ الْجِبْتِ وَالْجِبْتِ السِّحْرِ كَمَا سَبَقْ فَالسِّحْرِ إِذَا كَلِمَةٌ عَامَّةٌ تَجْمَعُ شُرُورًا كَثِيرًا إِمَّا قَوْلِيَّةٌ وَإِمَّا عَمَلِيَّةٌ So magic is a comprehensive term. There are many types of evils that come under the banner of magic. There are many types of different evils that come under the banner of magic. We'll pause for the prayer and then we'll just do a couple more narrations after the prayer as well. Inshallah ta'ala. الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن والاه. So in the next hadith of the chapter, عن ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من اقتبس شعبة من النجوم فقد اقتبس شعبة من السحر. زاد ما زاد رواه أبو داود وإسناده صحيح In this narration now then it mentions from Ibn Abbas رضي الله عنهما that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said من اقتبس شعبة من النجوم that whomsoever learns about the stars. And the meaning of it is, of course, how people use the stars and the movement of the stars to say that it impacts upon events on the earth. That if a star moves like this or a star comes up over there in the sky, then it indicates events that are occurring on the earth, that they cause these events on the earth. And that type of affair is mentioned as prohibited because in the hadith it says, whomsoever learns that type of knowledge regarding the stars, 
and it comes into all of the other affairs of star signs and everything, then that type of person has learnt a branch from the branches of magic. He will increase the more he learns of that. So here a Sheikh Al-Fawzan says, مَنْ اِقْتَبَسَ شُعْبَةً يَعْنِ تَعَلَّمَ الشُعْبَةً الطَّائِفَةً أو الْقِطَعَةً That whomsoever learns that type of so-called knowledge, they're of the stars and their connection to the affairs of the earth and how they create and cause affairs of the earth, then that type of knowledge, believing that events on the earth occur as a consequence of the stars and what is happening with the stars, then that is a branch from the branches of magic. At-Tanjim مَعْنَاهُ اِعْتِقَادُ أَنَّ النُّجُومُ تُؤَثِّرُ فِي الْكَوْنِ To believe that the stars impact on what happens in the earth. كَمَا قَالَ شَيْخُ الْإِسْلَامِ بْنُ تَيْمِيَّةِ هُوَ نِسْبَةُ الْحَوَادِثِ الْأَرْضِيَّةِ إِلَى الْأَحْوَالِ الْفَلَكِيَّةِ That it is to attribute worldly events to the stars and their movements and how they appear to say that because of those things this happened on the earth and that happened on the earth connecting events and saying they are caused by the stars and their movement and their appearance and their alignment etc. وَلَا تَزَالْ آثَارُ هَذِهِ الْخَصْلَةِ الْجَاهِلِيَّةِ فِي عَصْرِنَا الْحَاضِرِ فِيمَا يَظْهَرْ عِنْدَ الْمُنَجِّمِينَ وَالَّذِينَ يَذْهَبُونَ إِلَيْهِمْ وَبِمَا يُكْتَبُ فِي بَعْضِ الصُّحُفُ وَالْمَجَلَّاتِ مِنْ أَحْوَالِ الْبُرُوجِ لِأَنَّ نِسْبَةَ هَذِهِ الْأُمُورِ إِلَيْهَا فِي طُلُوعِهَا أو غروبها أو إلى الأفلاك في تحركها شرك بالله عز وجل لأن الذي يدبر النجوم ويدبر الأفلاك ويدبر الكون كله هو الله فيجب أن نؤمن بذلك So the Sheikh says the impact or the consequences of this type of belief that existed previously and has continued to exist, the impacts and the consequences of that are seen to this day. It is seen and it is apparent to this day how some of them, they attribute events of this earth to the stars and their movements and their alignments And he says, you see in some newspapers and magazines and those types of uh, uh, publications, how they write about the state of the stars and their movements and their alignments. And he is perhaps referencing what you find in newspapers and magazines with star signs. The people, they read their star sign Capricorn and Cancer and Sagittarius and all these things they call them. 
So they read their star sign, this is going to happen and that is going to happen and you're going to find this occurring in your life and that occurring in your life. The Sheikh says this is written and found in the newspapers and magazines and publications of that nature where they attribute what occurs in this world to the movement and alignment of the stars and how they rise and disappear. All of that and believing that these actions occur because of the stars is shirk. It is shirk because indeed the one who created the events in this world and what occurs, he is the one who also created the stars. The Lord of this world is the Lord of the stars. So the one who believes the stars are impacting and creating these affairs, then that is shirk. أَمَّا النُّجُومُ وَأَمَّا الْأَفْلَاكُ وَأَمَّا جَمِيعُ الْمَخْلُوقَاتِ فَلَيْسَ لَهَا تَدْبِيرُ وَلَيْسَ لَهَا إِحْدَاثُ شَيْءٍ أَوْ جَلْبُ نَفْعٍ أَوْ دَفْعُ ضَرْءٍ إِلَّا بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ Nothing in creation, stars or otherwise, have any ability to control the events in this universe. The stars or otherwise from the creation, nothing has the ability to control or determine what occurs within this creation or to bring about or produce something in this creation or to bring any benefit or to remove any harm. Nothing in creation has that ability except by the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَالْأَمْرُ يَرْجِعُ كُلُّهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ All of the affair, it returns back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَيَجِبُ عَلَى الْمُسْلِمْ أَنْ يَعْتَمِدَ عَلَى اللَّهِ وَأَنْ يَتَوَكَّلَ عَلَى اللَّهِ وَلَا يَتَأَثَّرْ بِمَا يَقُولُهُ الْمُنَجِّمُونَ وَالْفَلَكِيُونَ and it is binding upon the Muslim that he puts his absolute trust in Allah and that he does not become influenced or impacted or affected in any way by these star signs and other affairs that they write regarding the stars and their movements and what it's going to do and how it's going to impact you that you do not read these affairs, it is haram to read them anyway. Haram to read your star signs and all of that shirk. And haram to be involved in any of it. So the Muslim does not become influenced by this batil that they write. Amma, but then keep one thing in mind. Amma ta'allum hisab manazil al-qamar min ajli ma'rifat mawaqeet al-ibadat وَمَوَاقِيتَ الزَّرَاعَ وَالْبُذُورَ فَلَا بَأْسَ بِهِ وَهَذَا مَا يُسَمِّهِ الْعُلَمَ بِعِلْمِ التَّيْسِيرِ As for knowing the movement of the moon and, and various other stars and how they, uh, 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 their movement is, that is known to us. We know about the moon. We know it starts off as a crescent and then 15th day into the middle of the month it is full. Then it decreases. We know about those things. We know about the different stages of the moon, etc. They may even know about certain stars when they appear at certain times of the year. 
in order to recognize times for worship, for example, in order to recognize even worldly matters in terms of when to uh, sow the seeds for their crop by knowing that a certain star appears in the beginning of a certain season. So now they know you can start sowing your seeds for agriculture. That is a direct effect. It is not anything of the star is impacting this or impacting that. You see something, now you know that it is a certain time of the year. For example, you can start sowing your seeds. No problem in that. It is like the weather. People say, is it haram to look at the weather forecast? The weather forecast, is that not knowledge of the unseen? How do you know what's going to happen with the weather tomorrow? Is it permissible to look at the weather forecast? The weather forecast is not an issue. The forecast is, as the word indicates, a forecast. That they uh, 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 presume that this is going to occur. They, they anticipate that it's going to occur because of what is physically seen. So if they physically see now with their satellites or whatever, a huge bunch of clouds just 20 or 30 or 50 miles away, then on their forecast they write within the next hour it's going to rain here. Because they know which way the wind is moving, they know where the clouds are. It is an estimation of what is going to occur from physical signs. You see, you physically yourself see a cloud and it's raining and it's moving this way, then you can assume that perhaps, perhaps, if it continues like that, it could be raining here in the next hour. That isn't knowledge of the unseen. Those weather forecasts like that are not knowledge of the unseen. That is from physical factors you see, and then you can make judgment that perhaps this is going to occur or that. You see, for example, a completely clear sky for hundreds of miles. So their forecast says tomorrow is going to be a sunny day. Because of physically what you see, there's not a cloud in the sky for hundreds, thousands perhaps. Miles and miles of clear sky, so your forecast says it's going to be sunny tomorrow. That is not knowledge of the unseen. How can you say what the weather is going to be tomorrow? So here the sheikh says, things like that, they don't come into this discussion. What comes into this discussion is when they say the stars have aligned in a particular way this month. That means... Those people who were born in this month, this is going to happen to you and that's going to happen to you. Or that the stars have appeared in a certain formation in this month. That means on the earth we're going to see earthquakes happening and we're going to see this happening and that happening. With those kinds of connections that are made and assumptions that are made, that is what is impermissible. The stars do not impact upon what occurs in the earth. They do not create what occurs in the earth. So then it mentions, whoever learns that has learned a branch of magic. That is a branch of magic. So we have learned therefore from this narration that with the stars and the affairs they believed in, that is a form of magic. Zada ma zad, it says at the end, Kullu ma zada min al-iqtibas, zada min al-sihr. 
Meaning the more a person gets involved in that, in the stars and their movements and how they line up and it means this and it means that, the more you get involved in that, the more you're getting involved in magic. The more you're becoming deeper and deeper into those affairs of magic. So there'll be some people who are lesser involved in it and there'll be some people who are more deeply involved in it. فَالْإِنسَانُ لَا يَجُوزُ لَهُ أَنْ يَتَعَلَّمَ التَّنْجِيمِ الَّذِي عَلَيْهِ الْمُشْرِكُونَ لِأَنَّهُ سِحْرٌ وَشِرْكٌ بِاللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلٌ وَالدِّعَاءٌ لِعِلْمِ الْغَيْبِ الَّذِي لَا يَعْلَمُهُ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَالنُّجُومُ إِنَّمَا خُلِقَتْ لِفَوَائِدٍ بَيَّنَهَا اللَّهُ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى فِي كِتَابِهِ So it is not permissible for a Muslim to believe in that type of uh, belief the kuffar have about the stars and their alignment and how they appear and therefore impacts on the global events, not to believe in those affairs that is haram and impermissible. And the Shaykh says, the stars have been created for specific reasons that have been highlighted in the Quran, and those reasons have been highlighted in the Sunnah also. They are that the stars were created for beautification of the sky, zinat and lissama, and also... Navigation, alamat, that you can uh, uh, guide the ships and other things. There's the North Star, there's this, there's that. And also, as missiles against the shayateen. So that is where we'll conclude on for today then. Inshallah ta'ala, we'll carry on with the rest of the chapter from next week. Next week we should be okay because Maghrib is going to be pushed further back. So we should have enough time to be able to get the full lesson in before Maghrib. Try and arrive as close as possible to 8 p.m. And we'll start as soon as we can, straight after 8 p.m. inshallah. Any questions or anything? Is it a must that you move your foot to connect the ankles as soon as you go into ruku'ah? When lining up for the prayer, then it is mentioned from the sunan, is that the imam has a responsibility upon the imam, that he is supposed to make sure that the rows are straight, and he can do it himself, or he can appoint someone to do it. There's some narrations, Umar ibn al-Khattab appointed someone, go check all of the rows. And it says in the narration, he was standing there, just flicking some pebbles with his foot, just waiting for that person to go and check all of the rows, just waiting and flicking. And one of the companions was asking him a question, until that other person went and checked all of the rows. So the checking of the rows, to make sure they are lined up together, Side by side, they're not crooked, they're not forward, they're not behind, is something that is from the sunan of the prayer to be done as part of the completion of the prayer. How it is to be done, there are discussions between the scholars regarding how it is to be done. Is it an obligation to join the ankles and the shoulders as indicated by some of the narrations that are apparent? In some of the narrations it says, do not leave any gaps for the 
Shaitan, how are you going to not leave any gaps by making sure you are ankle to ankle and shoulder to shoulder? So some of those narrations seem to be very apparent that you need to be in contact, ankle to ankle or foot to foot. Uh, it may not be possible for a person to do ankle to ankle, particularly perhaps somebody older in age, or it may not be possible. But the point is that you close the gaps at least. That is mentioned and is apparent. There is a discussion from some of the scholars that it's not an obligation to have physical contact, but that the obligation is simply that the row is pure and straight. But what is apparent, Allah Alam, from the narrations and what is there, is that the row becomes straight by the connection of the feet together. If you are not connected, then there is more possibility of somebody being slightly ahead, somebody being slightly behind. So that's why some of the scholars, they say, the method is to connect the ankles. The row does not line up on the toes, which is the common mistake everywhere. When people are lining up, they're looking at their toes and everybody is lined up straight on their toes. It is not on the toes. Then from behind, all of your backs are going to be uh, zigzagged because people's feet are different lengths. Rather, as a Shaykh al said, you look behind to your heels and make sure all of the heels are lined up, regardless of how long uh, your foot may be. It is the heels from behind. You check all of those to line up. So this thing about do you have to connect your ankle when you go into Rukur, I don't even know if that's actually a discussion, but it is something which occurs where a person may stand up out of the prostration and he notices he's not connected. So he doesn't want to move around, but when you go down into Rukur, then you often see people connect at the Rukur. But Allah alam if that is a discussion in, in fiqh. But the general point is you connect the row from the beginning and uh, there, is, there are opinions and statements of the scholars that are more lenient it exists, where they say it's not a condition to have physical contact. The point of it is to simply be lined up properly with no crookedness. What is the correct way? This, uh, uh, these questions have come maybe seven or eight years late. We did Sifatul Salah about seven or eight years ago. All of these were done then. What is the correct way of moving the finger in tajahud? And what is the correct stronger hadith to move the finger or to keep it a fixed pointed position. So this uh, issue of moving the finger in the tashahud, whether you move it or you keep it still, in a nutshell, it comes down to the narrations. There are authentic narrations, authentic about moving it. However, why do some of the scholars don't take that opinion then? And they say, keep it still. Some say, keep it still. But others, they say, look, there are narrations telling you, authentic, that you move it. In the sciences of hadith, they say that the narrations are shadh. You'll find it in the, in the books of hadith, in the sciences of hadith, they give this example regarding the moving of the finger. So sometimes you can have a narration that is authentic. Authentic. It's not a weak narration. But still, it's not implemented. And that can be when it's shadh. Meaning that there are multiple other narrations, multiple other narrations, indicating something else, and then one narration which is also authentic in the chain of narration, everything, it's authentic. But it's saying something else, and there's no way to combine them. So with your finger, you cannot have it still, 
and also at the same time be moving it. It's one or the other. You can't keep it still. You can't be still and moving at the same time. So there's no way to combine that in one go, in one action. In one action, you're either keeping it still or you're moving it. So they say there's no way to combine this. We have multiple narrations on one side and one narration on that side. So that, they say, we're going to say is shad, meaning it's an authentic narration, but it is overwhelmed by all of these other authentic narrations that indicate something else. So that's basically what it comes down to, whether you keep the finger still or you move it. Some of them who refuse, they will say, it's shad, that narration cannot be implemented. There are multiple other narrations that indicate otherwise. And I forgot, uh, either Sheikh Muqbil uh, or Sheikh Al-Albani, one of them said, if this narration isn't shad, then I don't know what is shad in the dunya. That if this narration isn't one of those that you cannot implement, then I don't know which narration you're going to say is actually shad. So there's a difference over that regarding whether it is to be done or not. If you read Sheikh uh, 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 means Sifat al-Salah, he says you move it. You move it. And uh, there are differences about how you move it as well then, if you take that opinion. Some of them say it is only at the points where you do the glorification of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, only at those points you move it. Some scholars even have the opinion, in between the two prostrations, you have your finger up. It's not just flat hands. So you've got a few differences on that. But as a starting point, you have the two books in English available, if you don't speak Arabic, the Sheikh Al-Albani one and the Sheikh Al-Thaymin one. And they are two very different books on Sifat Salah. Sheikh Al-Albani one is a bit more difficult anyway because of the style. But there are two different opinions in a lot of issues. So that's somewhere you can have a read of in the Sheikh Al-Albani version, a Sheikh Al-Thaymin version, to get a, a general idea of these topics of the prayer. Anybody else? Is Taweez talisman considered an omen? If you see someone wearing the Taweez talisman, but you do not know what is that you do not know what is the best way to advise. We uh, covered this in the earlier chapters. If somebody wears the Taweez thing, what was the conclusion? Basic conclusion we came to was should not be worn. Should not be worn. It goes back to their belief in terms of uh, if it's uh, shirk or not as well. But from the beginning of it, the taweez as it is known as, these necklaces they wear with Qur'an in it as they claim, it could be one of two things. Either it is pure Qur'an or it isn't. If it isn't, there's nothing to be said. Impermissible haram, you cannot wear that. Those kinds of things often have incantations in them and words that are satanic in them. Those cannot be worn without a doubt, finished, nothing to discuss. But what if it is purely Qur'an, genuinely, purely just Qur'an in there? What was the uh, issue with that then? There are some from the Sahaba, Aisha radiallahu anha, who said, it is theoretically okay. Theoretically okay. Meaning she never actually wore it herself or any of the other companions who said, theoretically it's okay, they didn't actually wear it either. So no companion actually wore it. 
There were some who said, well, technically, if you did do that, just purely Quran, it would be okay. Because the Quran is the Quran, there's nothing wrong with that. However, many of the other companions, they said, even if it is only the Quran, then you cannot still wear it. Because the evidences that talk about the impermissibility of talisman are all open and general with no exceptions for even just pure Qur'an. Any type, all types. And that's why Ibrahim al-Nakha'i said, That they used to consider as haram. Yakrahuna with the salaf, yuharrimun. They used to consider all types of the talisman as haram. And then a Shaykh al-Fawzan, if you remember, had given some explanations or reasons as to why you shouldn't wear it, even if it is purely Qur'an. Because even if you say, but Aisha radiallahu anha and some companions said it's okay, they said it's okay firstly and foremostly upon the one who wears it with absolute sound aqidah. If your aqidah is absolutely sound and you know your trust is in Allah, then that isn't an issue. Now for the vast majority, if not all of the people who wear it, they wear it not with a sound aqidah, but because my taweez is going to protect me and my taweez is going to do this and that with a corrupt aqidah. So it's finished already anyway. But then on top of that, the sheikh said when they put this onto the children, the children are going to go and degrade it, go roll around in the mud, go walk into the toilet with it. It's a degradation of the Qur'an as well. So there were reasons that we mentioned. You can listen back to the recording from a few months ago when we were on those chapters. It is all haram and impermissible. You should advise the people not to wear them. Anything else? You know as well, when you write questions, that's a whole paper wasted. Uh, You know in Medina, uh, when the students used to write questions... You wouldn't even waste that top line. It would be... Uh, the top line would have two sentences in it. This top line, you would squeeze two sentences in it. This question would be in that top line. Sometimes you used to get pieces of paper sitting in uh, Shah Abdul Muslim Abbad's class. You know, there's a huge class, like twice the size of this mosque. Three times perhaps, when it used to be full. And if you're sat at the back and you want to send a, a question... Sometimes, I'm not joking, I used to see papers about this big. And you have a question that long on it. On a paper about this big. Not a joke, no exaggeration. Because there is no wastage. No wastage. Why waste a full paper like that now? What are you going to do with this? If I took this now and threw it away, gone. A whole paper for no reason. And the students never used to do that. A paper this size, you used to see it coming like this. This tiny thing. And you have to know what's going on in the class. Maybe if you're on Umrah or something... Somebody gives you that, you think, I took it away. But it's a question. These little things used to come. Little pieces like this. They come forward and somebody nudges you and passes you. Then you pass it, pass it, pass it until it goes forward to the reader of the sheikh and he opens up these small things like this. And then the question is on it. Uh, Somebody was saying something? The narrations are there in the books of fiqh as well. If you go to the books of sunnah, al-qaz'ah, it's uh, spoken about 
the general principle is that the hair should be kept. It doesn't have to be absolutely one length, but that it's supposed to be of a similar length throughout, that it is not visibly of different lengths. So you could, when you have a haircut, sometimes when, when they do the haircut, they specifically cut a little bit more slightly on the sides and the back, because that's where it grows out more. And the, the top of it may be a little bit less than what they cut on the sides and the back. But when you look at it, you can't see any visible difference in grades or shades. No problem with that. It's not a, a must that it must be absolutely of equal length everywhere. The point is that there's no visible differences in grades and shades. That is the, the basic concept of it. That is mentioned in the books of fiqh. You go to Bulugh al-Maram, these are the books of fiqh. In the books of hadith, you'll find it in the chapters regarding, probably in the chapters of garments and clothing, and other chapters about the hair and what is permissible or not. But these kinds of discussions people are bringing up, and I, I haven't looked into them, but I've heard people are bringing up these discussions. Firstly, you have to think to yourself, why is a person so keen, so enthusiastic, that you want to try and prove you can have hairstyles which are blatantly these days copied from the kuffar anyway. You have your sides all shaved to a grade one, basically nothing there, and then you have thick, proper hair at the top. There are clear and blatant two levels on your hair because qaza doesn't even have to be shaved necessarily. It can be two blatant and obvious different levels that comes within the subcategories of it. So it makes no sense that the people want to try and prove it's permissible. Do you love the hairstyle to that degree? You love this hairstyle to that degree. You want to shave your sides and then keep the top. And with all due respect, Allah, but it looks ugly. I don't know how, why, how people, Allah, what's going on? In the olden days, you remember 30 years ago, to, uh, like in the 90s, there was the tram lines, they used to call it. Nobody knows Allah in those days. When you, in the 90s, you remember, they used to do the tram lines, you know, like a train track. So you cut your hair, then they make two lines that go all the way around. Just two thin lines, the tram lines. And that was a fashion. They used to be the undercut. So you have all of your long hair, but really it's, now they do it as well, this type, I think. And underneath, it's all shaved. But at the top, there's a big bunch of hair that's coming down. But if it flies away, you see all of this is bold and shaved underneath. All of these strange haircuts, strange styles that the people have. With your hair in Islam, you honor it, you comb it as the messenger used to do, you oil it as the messenger used to do. You have respect and honor with your hair. And you do not imitate the fashions and the trends. So Allah alam why the people are getting into this debate and discussion. But the basic thing is you keep your hair to the levels where there is no uh, uh, clear discerning difference. You cannot see the different grades, it is mixed and together, that is the way the hairstyle should be. You can have it long, you can have it shaved short, grade 2, grade 3, grade 1 if you want. It is not, uh, as some people think that uh, if you cut it to a grade 1 or a grade 2, then you are imitating the khawarij. It is not the case, it is permissible to do that hairstyle. I remember asking a Sheikh Abdul Muhsin al-Abbad one time, I said about the hair, that is it permissible to shave it down to grade one? Because people say it resembles the khawarij. And uh, he said, no, that, that, that isn't the case. That isn't a, a, a resemblance of the khawarij. It is widespread, it is known. You can do that with your hair. It's permissible, it's not a problem. You want to have it at grade one, grade two, no problem. 
grade three, whatever it might be. You want to keep it short like that? That isn't considered resemblant of the khawarij. And some people, mashallah, now at the age where you have no choice anyway. So, that is uh, that. Anything else? So we conclude upon that then. Uh, look at al-usulu sitta at the end the differentiation comes down to the person is that person a practicing muslim implementing the laws of allah obedient to allah fulfilling his rights and prayers and everything then in that case you could say it's a karama that occurred for him but if that person is a sinner disobedient uh, commits all types of haram then you would not say this is a karama for him Well, that's it. In their books, uh, when you examine their stories, their imams, they are clearly not from the awliya in the first place. Some of their imams believing that they don't even have to pray anymore. Other imams narrating all types of batil stories that you know these people were upon completely misguided aqidah, misguided practices. They could not be from the awliya of Allah who were given karamat. Hmm. Last one, go on. No, but like we said here, uh, it's not going to be you who implements that immediately. You're not going to see somebody now and kill them here on the street immediately. <laughs> it's not like that. With all of these rulings now, it has to be under the, the proper method of the ruler who's going to establish that upon the person, upon the magician. You report it to the authorities. You're not going to be able to implement that. Hmm. We'll conclude upon that for today, inshallah ta'ala, next week, 8 p.m. We'll try and start on time so we can get the full lesson in before Maghrib, inshallah.